Well, good morning again, everyone. It is wonderful to be with you all. It, is, um, it warms the heart of a pastor to see people uh, being willing to come and hear God's Word even uh, during a time like this. And so I'm, I, I'm really excited to see all of you here this morning. I'm thankful for those of you who I know are watching online, uh, hearing God's Word. And so um, I'm going to try to go extra long for you people today so that you get a full dose of it. But uh, we're going we're gonna to take a, a slight break from our normal preaching in the book of Exodus, and we're going to actually preach from the book of Psalms this morning, Psalms 46. Uh, this week I had a whole sermon prepared, ready to go. I was already practicing it to preach on the uh, commandment about not committing adultery, and I just felt like in light of everything that's going on, that might not be the most sensitive or maybe the most helpful thing. So we're going to pick the Ten Commandments back up uh, either next week or the week after. But for this morning, we're going to be in the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, chapter 46, is what is often called the song book of the Bible, Jesus' hymnal. This is what uh, God uh, has given his people to cling to in times of trouble. And so this is what Psalm 46 says, um, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns, the ra nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. How he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are our refuge. You are our stronghold. You are our fortress. We can cling to you and hold on to you this today. Father, I do pray that you would use this word to uh, give us a place where we feel like we can rest our feet and rest our weary souls because you are for us. We pray all these things in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Um, well, this week, with um, everything that's going on in our country, with uh, this worldwide epidemic, uh, we have had the, the blessing and the grace of God to see things that normally we wouldn't get the chance to see. Uh, normally, we uh, would not always get the chance to see the things that we have seen, that we know they're always there, they're just not as obvious normally as they are today. 
We get the chance to see in this time the ineffectualness, uh, the limits, if you want to put it that way, of government to protect us. That government can do a lot of good things. It's not even, I don't necessarily know that I want to blame anyone for, for this coronavirus. It's just the reality is government can only do so much. We've seen that the supply chain economy, global economy that we normally depend on to put toilet paper on the shelves is running low this week, right? We have seen that the medical establishment, and we are so thankful for God's gift of medicine, of modern medicine, saved so many lives, and yet it's limited. They say that there will not be a vaccine for another 18 months, and the best thing that they can tell us is, well, just don't talk to anyone. Um, we have seen that these things that we normally depend on to keep us safe, to keep us secure, it's not that they're bad, it's not that they're wicked, it's not that they're evil, we're thankful for these things, and yet these things are limited. And, and today I, I felt a burden and, uh, for us as we prepared our hearts to worship to find the place that has no limits and, and find the one who won't let us down and find the one who will not uh, sway and will not move. And so I, I thought it would be worthwhile for our time this morning to focus our eyes on Psalm 46, one of the great uh, psalms of the Bible, one of my very favorite psalms, uh, and a, an important psalm. And, and I got really three points for us this morning, three points, um, three points for us to understand this. The first one is that God is bigger the second one is that God is nearer, God is closer. And the third one is that God is Godder. God is Godder. God is more God. So God is bigger, God is nearer, and God is Godder. Um, so let's look at this. First one, God is bigger. Look with me in verse one. It says, God is our refuge and strength. That God is a very present help in trouble. He is a fortress that we can run to. He is a stronghold that we can find safety in. He is a secure spot that we can rest on while the floods of the, the world are, are rising, while the water is rising. He is the one that we can stand on on and be secure and be safe. What this is causing us to think about is uh, the, the attribute of God, of his transcendence, that God has, uh, is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he is creator, we are creation. Uh, that's God's transcendence, he's above here. He is, as the theologian Donald Blush says, holy other. There's no part of him which is equated with us, that he's just above and beyond his creation. We are creation, he is creator. So we have a little bit of power, we have a little bit of potency, we have a little bit of ability, but God is omnipotent, all-powerful, totally able. We are here right now in this place, and God is everywhere. We exist in the time frame of a couple of years, and God has lived from time uh, from before time until after time. That he, From age to age, he is the same, the psalmist says. And because this is true, because God is transcendent, he can be our refuge. He can be the place that we can run to and be secure in. That if this God is for us, then who can be against us. But that is only true for us if we are in Christ. See, this assumes 
that we have a relationship with this God. Because if this God, if we don't have this relationship, if we haven't confessed our sins and taken His righteousness, if we haven't given our, uh, ourselves to Him and humbled ourselves at the foot of the cross, if we have not accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, then it's not a good thing that this God is transcendent. It's a very bad thing. The, but if we have come to Christ, and if we have found in Him the wellspring of life, then He is a refuge for us. I love what Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ has taken my sins upon himself and he has given me his righteousness. He has taken my punishment and he has given me his reward he has taken my curse and he has given me his blessing that jesus christ has taken upon me the place on the cross that i deserved Uh, last year one of the uh, things that we did as we were walking through the easter season as we talked about uh, the, the story of Barabbas, how Barabbas was this thief and this murderer and this insurrectionist who was due to be crucified. And when Christ came, when, when Christ was being tried by Pilate uh, for, uh, for unjust sins, that Barabbas was set free and Christ was sentenced to die. Friend, if you have put your faith in Christ, that has happened to you. That you have been set free, you have been released, you have been ransomed, you have been reconciled, you have been redeemed, you have been justified. And therefore this God, this transcendent God who has a holiness that never ends and a righteousness without beginning is on your side. And he is for you. He is for you this morning if you are in Christ. And maybe the reason that God has you here in this room or on this, uh, watching us online this morning is so that you can hear this free offer of forgiveness to find a Savior, to find a Messiah, to find a refuge. God is bigger and I love that word that verse 2 starts off with. What is that word that verse 2 starts off? Look in your Bible. Say it out loud. Therefore, therefore, because of this, for this reason, on this basis, since this, then this, therefore, if God is my refuge, therefore, then this, we will not fear. We won't be anxious we won't be nervous, we won't panic, we won't run, we won't 
We, we won't let anxiety wear us down. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, therefore we will not fear. Now you have to understand what... Um, the psalmist is, is doing here with this word picture that he sets up. See, the way that the ancients looked at the world was a lot like this room. So they looked at the room and they, they saw, okay, there's the sky up there, the roof, and then there's the pillars on the side, the mountains that hold it up, and then there's the floor in the middle, and that's a mix of land and sea. And, and so the, the way that the psalmist is describing this is that the earth is giving way. The, 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 there's a sinkhole that opens up in the middle of the room, and the mountains collapse into the sea, and the sky pounds down upon them, and the waters roar and foam, and the mountains tremble and, and what little uh, is there that's holding up the universe is uh, fading therefore we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength very present help in trouble therefore it seems like creation is going in reverse that that the 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 separation that God did light from dark land from water sky from uh, uh, sky from sea in the first chapter of Genesis it seems like this is all kind of devolving and the psalmist says even when that happens even when everything else around me falls down we will not fear why? is it because these things aren't real? no is it because these things aren't uh, threatening? no they, they are it's just that if God is for me, who can be against me? And, and, and though I, I, I'm crushed under the anxieties and the weights of this world, I have a refuge that I can run to that is higher than I and a rock that I can stand on that does not give way. God is our refuge and strength. God is bigger. Secondly, God is uh, nearer. God is nearer. Look in verse 4. So there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now, this verse is referencing the city of God, what is called Jerusalem, right? And in the city of Jerusalem, God had caused his temple to be built. And when God had caused his temple to be built, his glory came down and filled the temple so that no one could come in. And this glory is God's house, it's his temple, and his house dwells with his people. And so the, the Jerusalem often came to represent God's people. It's where God would, God's people would come to commune with him, to be with him, to uh, be near to him. And the, the psalmist here says that there's this river that makes the people of God glad. There's something in, in, that flows through the, the people of God that, that um, gladdens them and excites them, and if I can make up a word here, and jubilates them, that makes them happy, that makes them excited, that makes them thrilled, that makes them uh, joyful, that makes them uh, confident. But here's the problem. There's no river that flows through Jerusalem. 
Some of us have been to Jerusalem in this room. You know there's not a river that flows right downtown. There's not a walkway on either side. If you go to Indianapolis or you uh, go, there's, we have a river here in Anderson, or you go up to Chicago, there are these rivers that flow through the cities. And it was very much the same way in the ancient world that cities were built around rivers. But there's no river that flows through Jerusalem. So what is he talking about here? What is it that flows through the people of God that makes the people of God happy in God? It's the presence of God. It's it's the presence of God. He says that in the next verse, in verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. That God is in the midst of her because God is himself near to his people. Not only is he wholly other, not only is he transcendent, but he is infinitely near. He is close. He is with us. He is close to us and near to us. He is in and through us. Us. He's the one who flows to us. We don't need a river because we have the presence of God in our midst. And once again, this is most fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When, when Christ came down to live among us, did you know the Gospel of John says that he templed among us, he tabernacled among us, that that. A word in the New Testament, in the book of John, that says that Christ came and lived among us. It's the same word for for pitching a tent, for tabernacling, for building a temple. The temple of God is Jesus Christ among the people of God. And so the presence of God is because of Jesus Christ. And so we have Christ dwelling in us and among us, and he brings the presence of God nearer to us than anything else. So that when we put our faith in Christ... When we put our faith in him, we're united to him. The book of um, Romans says that we are crucified with Christ and that we live with Christ. The book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So not only is God bigger than all that is going on out there, but God is nearer to me than all that is going on out there. And God is closer to me. And God is here. He's, he's united to me. He's, he's in me. He's like bone marrow. He's in the core of my being. I have this deep union with Christ. And because I have this union with Christ that I feel and experience the intimacy of God through Him. Not only is God for me, not only is God bigger, not only is God my refuge, but He is my my life, my salvation, my bone marrow. He is the one who is making my heart glad. He is the one who is helping me to, to get through the crises in my life. He's the one who is closer to me than a friend, as the book of Proverbs says. I have this deep union with, with Christ. Which is why verse 6 is important. 
Because some people think that this psalm was written while Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was being besieged. And there were all these enemies outside the city of Jerusalem. And some people think that the the psalmist is just kind of giving this picture of the city that is celebrating in the midst of a siege, that it is rejoicing and feasting even in a time of hardship. That's why it's referencing in verse 6, the the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. How can God's people be so joyful, so jubilant, so happy, so hopeful, so confident, even when the world around them is giving away? It's because God is with them, which is helps us to understand why the second part of verse 5 is so important. It says, God will help her when the morning dawns. When God will help her when the morning dawns. You know, that is a very interesting uh, little phrase in the Hebrew. You guys will allow me to nerd out a little bit. Uh, this is kind of an uh, interesting thing. That phrase, when the morning dawns, uh, is actually pretty rare. It doesn't happen in the Bible very often. And uh, there, there's one other place where it does happen in the Bible. It's actually in the book of Exodus. Since I said we talk about Exodus a little bit this morning, so you can consider this our review of Exodus. Right? So God, when he is going to save Israel out of the land of Egypt, he sends a deliverer, Moses. And by the hand of Moses, God brings ten plagues upon the people of Egypt, and the people of Israel are kind of pushed out of Egypt. The Egyptians say, get out of here, go. And the Israelites come, and they go down the coast of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians realize what they've done. They've set free their main labor force, and so they get up in their chariots and in their war horses and in their armies, and they chase after the Israelites, and they get to the Red Sea, and God opens up the Red Sea, and the Israelites cross over, and the Egyptians follow them into the Red Sea, and they get to the other side, and they turn back, and the Egyptians are right there and the Bible says when the morning dawned when the morning dawned when when light came when darkness faded God allowed the Red Sea to go back on over itself and washed away the enemies of Israel and washed away the 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 things that were pursuing them God is with us and so even though there is Society seems like it is unraveling around us that God is near to us and close to us and he will help us when the morning dawns, when the moment of salvation comes. Which is why I just love verse 7. It's, it's very real. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that Jacob uh, often represents the people of Israel. And I got to be honest, if you're an Israelite, having Jacob represent you is kind of not something that you want, because Jacob is kind of a hot mess. If you read the book of Genesis, Jacob is just one of those guys whose life just, yeah, just feel uneasy about having him, having being known because of him. Uh, Jacob, if you know him, he is the the son of Jacob or of Isaac and Rebekah, and he has this brother named Esau. And Jacob and Esau spend their lives kind of trying to get back at each other. And uh, Jacob tricks Esau uh, to, into giving him his birthright, and then he tricks his father and his brother with his mother to get the blessing that belonged rightfully to Esau. 
And uh, then, of course, you know, if your uh, brothers, uh, maybe one of my brothers is watching, so maybe they understand this. Um, if, you are, if you have brothers, you understand. Hey, sometimes you just, you just don't, aren't always thrilled with your brothers, and so Esau's not happy with Jacob, and so uh, Esau's about to uh, take this out on Jacob, and uh, uh, Jacob runs, and he goes to his uncle Laban, and, at, and when he's living with Laban, he meets his daughter, and uh, Jacob falls in love with his daughter, and then Jacob uh, works for Laban for seven years, and he finds out that he wasn't given the right daughter in marriage, and then he works for another seven years. Then he also gets a second daughter, so there's Rachel and Leah. And, and uh, while he is working for Laban, Jacob is kind of secretly cheating Laban out of all of his wealth. He, it's kind of sketchy. You can go read it in the book of Genesis. And uh, Jacob is uh, kind of secretly working to get all of the wealth away from Laban. And then Laban and his family are not happy with Jacob because they sense that there's something wrong. And so Jacob, in the middle, uh, while his uncle is away, he gets all his stuff together, all his people, all his friends, and they just take off, and Laban chases after them, and Jacob, uh, Jacob, um, and Laban come to a truce, essentially, and then Jacob is heading back into the promised land, and he hears that Esau is coming, and, and he and Esau meet one another, and you expect there to be this conflict, and, and Esau embraces him. And he says, says, why don't you come, come home with me? Let's go to see mom and dad. They'd love to see you. And, and Jacob says, why don't you go ahead of me? We'll catch up to you. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll come. I got women and children. We're moving slow. So Esau heads back towards uh, his, his parents. And if you know your Bible, you know that Jacob went the other way. They had this moment of reconciliation, and there's still this buffer there. There's still this something that's not quite right and I just want to say this is a little bit of an aside. If, if you have ever had to forgive someone for something they've done to you and ever reconcile, sometimes there's that buffer and sometimes that is hard. And so you know what Jacob is like. And so Jacob is sojourning in the land of Canaan. And he's in the land of Canaan and, and he gets into these squabbles with the Canaanites. And then he has this son, Joseph, his favorite son, and uh, he kind of lavishes his, his attention on Joseph. And once again, Joseph's brothers are not okay with this situation. So Joseph, once, I'm, I'm a brother, I get it. I have brothers. Just, so Joseph's brothers, they fake Joseph's death and they sell him into slavery. And, and the Bible says that Jake, when Jacob hears the news, he weeps and refuses to be comforted. Oh, well, years go by and Jacob finds out that Joseph is still alive, and Joseph asked them to come down to Egypt to, to uh, live with them through the famine. And so Jacob looks at the only land that he has known for the last couple of years. His family's a disappointment, his wealth disappointment. He just, he just looks at his life, looks back on his life, and it's just, it's not what he wanted it to be. It's not who he wanted to be. And so he, he goes with his children down to see Joseph, and he meets Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and he tells Pharaoh, my years have been few and evil, and they have not amounted to the years of my fathers. My, my, my life just isn't what I wanted it to be. But here's the thing about Jacob, and here's why Jacob is mentioned specifically here. If you Read the story of Jacob again and again and again and again and again. God says, 
I will be with you. Jacob, I'll be with you when you go to see your uncle Laban. Jacob, I'll be with you when you meet your brother Esau. Jacob, I'll be with you when you go down to Egypt, and I will bring you back out again. Jacob, I am not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not forgetting about you. I'm not going anywhere. God is nearer. God is closer. God is not going anywhere. So God is bigger. God is nearer. And third, God is God-er. God is God-er. He's more God. He's the only God, but he's, he's, he's more God. And you'll understand why I'm saying this is important. Look at verse 8. It says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, um, as we've been walking through the book of Exodus, you probably have noticed some of the desolations that God has brought in the book of Exodus. How God has brought the ten plagues on the people of Egypt. How God has washed away the enemies of Israel in the Red Sea. How God has uh, defeated the Amalekites in the desert. God has worked these desolations. They're a revelation of God's holiness. They're a revelation of God's power, of God's might, of God's transcendence. But that's not the only thing we see. We see his, his good works as well. That's why it says, Behold the works and not just the desolations of the earth. Look at verse 9. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Not only does God uh, show his power and his might, God shows his peace. Not only does God show his holiness, but God shows his love. Not only is God other, God is near. And the psalmist tells us to come and reflect upon who God is, this God who is holy and love all at once. And he wants us to reflect how there's an already to this. There's an already, already God is in our midst, revealing his holiness day by day, already in our midst. God is showing his power, showing his might. Already God is working, and yet there's also a not yet. We have not yet reached the tree of life. We have not yet come to our eternal home. We are still strangers and sojourners, just like Jacob, wandering in the promised land. We're not home yet. And so we are, there's an already, it's already done, and yet there's a not yet, and we're waiting for that day where God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And, and so we are waiting for that day when the earth no longer shakes beneath our feet. We're waiting for that day when people don't die of sickness. We're waiting for that day. And some of it we've already gotten the chance to see, praise God, in our lives. Yet there's this not yet to it. Not yet is everything as it will be. Not yet is everything, in J.R.R. Tolkien's words, that is evil has been undone. There's a not yet to it. an already and a not yet. 
And it's in this context of beholding the works of the Lord that we are called to contemplate. Look in verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. Now, those first two words of this verse are pulled out of context. (laughs) They are put on bumper stickers and they are put on coffee mugs and t-shirts. And hey, nothing wrong to it. If you have more power to you, hey, this is great. Um, But you can't read the first two words without the last six or seven words right there. I'm not good at math. Go easy on me. And know that I am God. See, being still, contemplating, meditating is, is only good if we do it God's way. You see, there is um, an infection in our psyche in this culture that has kind of infected us from the Eastern religions of Buddhism and of Hinduism, of this kind of Eastern meditation. And in the Eastern religions, meditation is separation, that you separate, that you distance, that you uh, put everything away from you, that you uh, put everything behind you and beyond you. You just try to be and you disconnect yourself, you distance yourself. And, And God says, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to be still and know that I am God. Christian meditation is is not about distancing ourselves from everything. It's about remembering who is God. Be still, reflect, contemplate, meditate on this fact that I am God. And, And here's the tricky thing. If God is God, that means that who is not? Me. When God says, be still and know that I am God, that means I'm not God. And that is really tough because I want to be my own refuge. I want to be the place that I can run when there is uh, trouble. I want to be in control of everything. But when I sit still and I remember that God is God, I remember God is the one in control. God is the one who has power over things, not me. And this is tough because I want to be able to make myself happy. I want to be able to find my bliss. I want to be able to to, uh, be near to myself, to get in touch with myself. But this calls me to recognize that God is near to me and that God is close to me and that God is right there. It's not a call to find myself deep down. It's a call to find God. It's not a call to be with myself. It's a call to be with God. See, to be still and know that I'm God means that I recognize that God is holy other and that God is infinitely near and that I'm not. But, and I I know that this sounds almost contradictory, almost paradoxical. That's a good thing because I'm not a very good refuge. I'm not, I, I do not do well when everything is in my control. I don't do well when I'm responsible for everything. I, I don't do well when, when the livelihood of everything that has ever lived depends upon me. And, and I don't do well when the weight of trying to make myself hopeful is put on me. I don't do well when the weight of trying to make myself confident is put on me. I don't do well when the weight of trying to make myself feel joyful is put on me. But when those things are put on God, when I can allow the presence of God to be what gives me joy, that's where true peace comes from. 
That's where true joy comes from. That's where confidence comes from. That's where hope comes from. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. God is the one who will exalt himself and God is the one who will be above all. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Dear friends, right now we have a chance to reflect on this, that God is God and we are not. And what a difficult realization that is to come to, but what a freeing revelation that is to come to. It is hard to come to the place where I recognize that God is God and I am not, and yet it is freeing when I come to the place where I can recognize that God is God and I am not. Where I can recognize that God is the one that is for me, and God is the one that is with me, and God is the one who is near to me in the time of trouble. Oh, how freeing that is when I don't have to have and bear the weight of the universe on my shoulders and I can give it up to Him. That is the place that I can run to. This psalm, one of my favorite psalms in the entire Bible, um, it was also the favorite psalm of uh, a man named Martin Luther, kind of like Luther, you probably know. And uh, Martin Luther wrote this song based on based on Psalm 46. Uh, He wrote this song. We sing it here sometimes called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And here's the English translation. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are for us. We thank you that you are a refuge, that you are a stronghold, that you are a rock that we can run to. And we thank you that you are with us even as we sojourn, even as we wander, even as we are trying to uh, pick up our lives, and even when our lives aren't what we want them to be, that you haven't forgotten about us, you haven't abandoned us, you haven't uh, let us down, you haven't wandered away from us, that you are with us. God, we thank you that you are God and we are not. It's a difficult realization to come to, and it's a tough one, but oh, how freeing it is. 
So God, I, I do pray for this people. I pray that you'd be with them. I pray that you would continue to work through them as they go out from here and they go to, uh, to serve. And I, I pray that you would give them confidence and hope in you and in you alone. It's in the name of your Son and by your Spirit that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that the worship team comes up. As the worship team comes up to end our service and song, a couple of housekeeping items. We're going to go ahead and postpone our prayer meeting uh, this afternoon. We're going to go ahead and just postpone that for another week or two. We will make decisions about whether or not we're going to meet uh, early, later this week. We're just trying to take it day by day. This is kind of a quickly evolving situation. But for now, let's all stand and sing. Uh, sing to the Lord our God as we close our service together. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness tries to hide Trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our
And oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God. Go from here, go with this word from Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else, and all creation, and that includes the coronavirus, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go in peace. Thank you.